Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church this morning as we conclude our series that we've entitled Gratitude Unleashed, Rocket Fuel for Your Soul. Gratitude Unleashed, Rocket Fuel for Your Soul. In the last two weeks, we've talked about how gratitude unleashed in our lives fuels our souls, first to pray, then to serve, and now this morning, to rejoice in the Lord. The title of the message this morning is Gratitude-Fueled Joy. Gratitude-Fueled Joy, and it comes from Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. So please turn there, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. We're going to read that right now. Philippians chapter 4. Verse 4. Philippians has been called the epistle of joy. One of the major themes of the letter of the Philippians, which was written by the Apostle Paul to a church in Philippi, modern day Greece. One of the major themes of this letter is joy. And at the, at the epicenter of that letter is this verse. Many people say this is the verse. This is the appeal of God to his people, both then and now. Philippians 4 4. Are you there? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. God in this text takes a noun, joy, and turns it into a verb, rejoice. And the operative term there is rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Here's a question for you. In what or in whom do you rejoice? In what or in whom do you rejoice? Do you rejoice in yourself? Do you rejoice in your own accomplishments? Do you rejoice in getting your own way? Do you rejoice in other people? Do you rejoice in perhaps a certain team doing well in a sport if you're a sports fan? Do you rejoice maybe in a certain political party doing well or a certain leader being elected? In what or in whom do you rejoice? This is the question this morning. Now I can tell you this. If our joy is primarily in ourselves, it's going to be very difficult to do what this verse says. Look at it again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Because there are going to be days when you fail. There are going to be days when you simply don't get it done. There are going to be days that aren't very happy if you are rejoicing in yourself primarily. And I can certainly tell you, especially after this weekend, that if you rejoice in a certain sports team, they're going to let you down. Or if you rejoice, put your hope in a certain leader, a certain political party. Anything or anyone else in whom you rejoice will not enable you to do what God is saying to do in this verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. Because they're going to let you down. We are going to let others down. Others will let us down. We will be disappointed. We will disappoint. We will be hurt. We will hurt. But here, in this text... God gives us his word to us, church, to rejoice in the Lord always. In fact, he says it twice. I will say again, rejoice. 
Jesus is the joy of the earth. This season, perhaps like no other season, this month between Thanksgiving and Christmas is the one time of the year where you probably are going to see more smiles, more rejoicing, more parties, more loud music in your neighborhood, more eating together and laughing together and celebrating together. More funny videos getting posted on the internet. Someone sent me two the other day. I laughed so hard. Nothing like seeing a friend of yours with a turkey on his head singing karaoke songs. And he can't sing. But everybody's laughing. It's almost like during this month we suspend our normal propensity, our normal sort of bent to not rejoice Because sadly, we'll put our joy and our rejoicing in ourselves or in others or in circumstances. And when they fail, we go from rejoicing or joy to complaining and grumbling. But during this one season, we tend to do more of the rejoicing. And I'm telling you this. It's because of Christ Jesus coming. Now, the world may not understand this, but but the capital that is put in the bank for people then to withdraw from that capital to do any kind of rejoicing during the season was put there by God in his generosity when he took on flesh, became a man, became poor, that we might become rich. Joy to the world begins with Christ. And the world borrows from that, even though they don't know it. And God is so generous in his common grace that I believe he delights in the joy of this season. Even the lights, the musicals, there's just, there's like a, just a pep in your step during the season. You're you're whistling or humming the Christmas songs, even Christmas songs that you're sick of hearing because they started playing them in early November. But there's joy because of Christ coming. And this text speaks of that joy then being turned into a verb, rejoice. There's joy because of Christ coming. There's gratitude-fueled joy. And then God says that joy, which by the way, Scripture says, is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And if you're new to this thing, or perhaps you're here and you're not a believer, let me just let you know that, that the fruit of the Spirit is, is what God looks like, and He takes people and He gives them new life, His life in Christ, and then He gives them, and He slowly begins to transform them to become more and more like Christ. And one of the things that we have in our new creation are the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is what God looks like. This is what Jesus looked like when he was on earth. And this is what God is conforming us into. So joy, joy is rooted in God. True joy. And it is to characterize our lives. And that's the main point of this text. It's very simple, simple verse. The main point, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Point one, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. This is an amazing passage here. The operative term is in the Lord. In the Lord. And actually, the operative term is Lord. As we heard in previous verses here in Philippians 2, Philippians 2, 9 through 11, The Apostle Paul said this when he wrote this letter. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, Jesus, 
and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's important. Because you will not be able to rejoice unless it's in the Lord. Because if you try to rejoice in yourself and your ability to control things, or if you try to rejoice in somebody else that will provide you security or financial security or in your career or getting what you want, all of those things ultimately will fail. Only Jesus is Lord of all. And so... Paul, God, through Paul, is saying, rejoice primarily in the Lord because he is Lord over all. I believe what we see here is actually the biblical command from the beginning of time when God first created man, uh, Adam and Eve, and, and, and said, you image me to this world, my glory will be displayed through you. It will be displayed through creation. And then when that was marred or damaged or disfigured by sin, God said, I'm going to restore you that you might rejoice in the Lord. Remember the last couple of weeks, we've been saying that the chief end of man is what? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's that's in something called the Westminster Confession of Faith. It's a wonderful confession of faith. It's very biblical. The chief end of man, the number one question in this catechism, this thing that people use to train their children and to train new converts, he says, what is the chief end of man? What's the deal for you? What is the purpose for your life? What is the main thing for you? And the Bible would say, it's to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I love the way that they... Put those two together. And I believe that's what Paul, what God is saying through Paul here. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. I believe that all of the scriptures in the Old Testament that talk about rejoicing in the Lord find their fulfillment in Christ. For example, in Psalm 97.1, Psalm 97.1, the Lord reigns. Remember Philippians 2, Jesus is Lord. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess. Let the earth do what? Rejoice. Why is the earth to rejoice? Because the Lord reigns. I don't reign. You don't reign. Your football team doesn't reign. Obviously, if you're from Miami. Or Gainesville. But the Lord reigns. Stay with me for a second. So when we fail to rejoice, look, I'm not talking about phony baloney just being happy all the time. I'm not talking about that. You hear me? I'm talking about rejoicing. When we fail to rejoice, what we're saying is, I doubt that he reigns. When the bad news comes, it's okay to cry and weep. Rejoicing doesn't mean you're always having a smile on your face. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking an inner confidence and enthusiasm, even when things are rough. See, it gets tested in that moment, doesn't it? When things go badly. There was, there is, I believe, a tradition in countries that have kings, and I'm 
almost positive that this is true. I know biblically it's true. That when a subject was in the presence of a monarch, a king, a ruler, they were not allowed to come in with a sad face. If you study the Bible, there's a story of someone saying, I can't go in to see the king with a sad face because you're rejoicing in that king's rule. How much more... The king of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lord of all creation. We, we're to rejoice in the Lord because he reigns. Oftentimes, grumbling, for me anyways, is a time when I doubt his reign in my life, number one. Or more often, number two, I don't like his reign in my life. I'm like my three-year-old grandson. I am stamping my feet. I am throwing myself on the ground. I'm not rejoicing because daddy's not giving me what I want. So, so this is, the, the, it's based in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Let the, the Lord reigns. That scripture good in 97.1. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. See, the whole problem with sin is the Lord reigns and the earth said, I'm not going to rejoice. And Adam and Eve said, I'm not going to rejoice. And we say, we're not going to rejoice. And unbelievers say, we're not going to rejoice. The Lord reigning is not good news if you're a rebel to the Lord. But when he saves me, that's the basis for my rejoicing. Even when it feels like everything's out of control in my life, the Lord reigns. Let the many coastlands be glad. That includes Miami. Psalm 100, verse 1. Here's another example. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Make a joyful noise to whom? The Lord. The Lord. See, we're, we're back to this text. I believe this text is simply a fulfillment of all that's, that the Bible teaches about rejoicing in the Lord because he is the Lord. So here's the application. Why rejoice in the midst of failure? How? Aren't I being fake if I rejoice in the midst of failure? Aren't I being fake if I rejoice in the midst of conflict? Aren't I being sort of phony if I rejoice when other people disappoint me and hurt me? No, you're not. Because what's the basis of your rejoicing? Is it in yourself and your ability to succeed? Is it in the other person treating you just the way you want to be treated? No, it's in the Lord. So simultaneously, you can grieve and wrestle with anger and even bitterness if other people hurt you. You can wrestle with doubt. You can wrestle with anxiety about your finances. You can wrestle about relational strife. That's okay. You're human, all right? But in the midst of that, I say this with enthusiasm. I rejoice in the Lord. He hasn't moved. His reign is not diminished at all. I'm a little confused. I'm a little hurt. I may be on the ground bleeding a little bit, but the Lord reigns. Man, that's strong. That's strong. And it's the context of this, of this letter. You understand that the man who wrote this, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote it from a dank, awful, dark prison cell in Rome. He was on trial. His crime, that he preached Jesus. He was away from all his friends. And the people to whom he wrote it, the Philippians in modern day Greece, were under incredible pressure because not only did they support him, not only did they say to the authorities, oh, he's my friend, they sent him money. They were on, they were on all the watch lists there would have been back then. They showed up in Paul's bank account. 
And yet he says to them, rejoice in the Lord. No, of course I'm not rejoicing that I'm in jail. I'm not rejoicing that I don't have any money. I'm not rejoicing rejoicing that I'm starving. I'm not rejoicing that I'm chained between these two Roman centurions and I can't do anything without asking permission to include using the bathroom or eating. That, That doesn't bring me great joy, but God is on his throne. And I know he rules and reigns and have confidence that this will work out for his glory and my good. Well, that takes faith, man. See, grumbling is unbelief. Rejoicing is faith. Mark that one down. Grumbling is a symptom of unbelief. You can be discerning. You can call things as they are. But I'm talking deep-hearted grumbling. Does that make sense? And... What's amazing about this, this is what we celebrate. This is what makes Christmas so off the charts joyous. This is why all the Christmas trees, this is why all the lights, this is why all the specials, this is why all the gifts. Here's the deal. That joy was born in a child who is God in the flesh and who suffered greatly beyond anything any human has ever suffered to bring us this joy. He's the one promised at the beginning of time who was born at the appropriate time which we celebrate Advent, his coming, and who will return at the end of time. Advent celebrates his coming past tense, and don't forget this one, his coming future tense. Advent celebrates the glory that will be unshielded and seen and all these lights and all these gifts are but a little dark shadow of the glory that's to come that will never end. When that glory comes, unlike Christmas, there's no credit card bill the next month. Saddest time of the year is like at the end of January when all the credit card bills come in the mail or electronically. That was a great gift, but i got to pay for that now. On that day, the glory will eclipse anything we're going to see in this next month. And the one who brought it suffered unbelievably. And it was joy that saw him through the suffering. Okay. Jesus is fully man, right? Fully God, fully man. You with me? Are you awake? Okay. Fully man, fully God. On the cross, Jesus exercised faith. In the garden, what did Jesus say to the Father? If there's any way, Father, this cup can be taken from me, i.e., is there any way to accomplish your plan of redemption without me dying a horrible death, a shameful, naked death, a beaten to within an inch of my life death, a death that will mean your wrath is on me, that I become sin, I never knew sin, and that you will reject me? Is there any way? But in faith, he said, not my will, but your will. Joy is evidence of faith. Complaining is evidence of unbelief. So it's not, I don't think, incorrect to say joy brought Jesus through. And I think there's a scripture for it on the screen. Hebrews 12, 2. 
Suffering is the context of Paul's writing God's command here in, in Philippians 4, 4. Suffering is the context. This wasn't written during Christmas when everybody's happy and on vacation and eating more than they should. This was written when people are hungry and they're beaten and they're afraid and they're, 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 they're alone. This word about being alone, Paul's alone in this prison. And this was written in that context. But read what it says about joy in the life of Jesus Christ. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the what? Joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. Look, you can despise the shame. I don't like the shame. I don't rejoice in suffering. I don't rejoice in the shame of blowing it and messing up and knowing that I messed up and disappointing people. I don't enjoy that. We can despise the shame of it. But listen, on the other side of the shame and the suffering is glory. Because it says here, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Joy. Unspeakable joy. This is what God gives us in Christ. This is our hope. This is your hope in the midst of a diagnosis that's not very joyful. This is your hope in the midst of relational conflict that you wonder, will it ever change? This is your hope in in the midst of of worry about your children and wondering, are they going to make it? This is your hope when your heart's not working physically like it should. It's this glory on the other side of the suffering. And we are called to suffer, church. Jesus said, I suffered and then glory. You will suffer and then glory. But see the joy. What does it say there? Looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus at the beginning. Looking to Jesus. This Christmas, listen, this isn't a trite little saying. This isn't, this is, this is, this is true. Jesus is the reason for the season. And especially at Christmas, keep your eye on Jesus. In football, keep your eye on the ball. Don't go for the three fakes. Where's the ball? You're tackling a guy with no ball. No, no, keep your eye on the ball. Because scriptures look to Jesus. He paved the way. This is how he did it. By the power of God in the Holy Spirit, God in the flesh. And he will give you the same strength by his spirit. That when you're crying, you're looking to Jesus and you can still rejoice. Praise God. Joy sustained our Lord. Joy sustains us. May it sustain you, friend. That's my prayer for you. That joy would dominate your life. That the joy of the Lord would be your strength. Listen. That you would rejoice in the risen, ruling Savior, Jesus Christ. And when that happens, and I believe it's happening, God wants to cause it to happen even more in your life, then you'll do the next thing, point two. You'll rejoice in His servants. When you rejoice in the Lord, you'll rejoice in his servants. Listen, this this letter of Philippians is chock full of passages about joy and rejoicing. It's the theme of the letter. We talked about this two weeks ago on the screen, Philippians 1, 3 through 6. I thank my God. This is Paul writing. This is a guy in prison suffering greatly. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine with you all, making my prayer with what? Joy. He has faith. He has joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of 
Christ. He's thanking God for their partnership. We read in this book that they sent money to him. In chapter 4, verse 10, he says, thank you for the money that you sent to me. But he's rejoicing in the fact that God began a good work in them. Back to that text there. And I'm sure of this, the second part of that text, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to the completion of the day of Christ. He rejoices in the Lord with joy, even though he sees difficulties, because he trusts God and his eyes are on Jesus. And when he looks at God's people, when you look at the person on either side of you, whether it's your spouse, your child, a fellow member in the church, I rejoice in them, not because they're never going to disappoint me, but because I have confidence that the Lord who's reigning is going to complete his good work in you, in you, in you, in you. He's going to complete it. And so I can rejoice. I can see some of the things that still need to be worked on. You see the things that need to be worked on in me. But I, my, my joy is based on the fact God called you. He's going to complete this work. It's like we're high-fiving each other while we're also saying, Hey, bro, can I talk to you about this? We rejoice in one another. We rejoice in our partnership. This, uh, this next text in Philippians 2, 17 to 18 Again, remember, he's in prison when he writes this. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice, sacrificial offering of your faith. He's thinking, I'm going to die. I am what? Glad. And what? Rejoice with you. Likewise, also, you likewise also... Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. It permeates this letter. Which is crazy because this letter is written in deep, deep distress. Things are not going well. Humanly speaking, the church is under pressure. He's in prison. But he's saying, I'm glad, I rejoice in you, and you should rejoice in me. Because the one who began the good work in us as a church in Philippi, in you individually, in me, the one who began that work will complete it until the day of Christ. Thanks for your partnership. And then he gets specific. He starts thanking Them for individuals in the church. And I want you to be thinking right now. In your mind, who can you be thankful for in the church? Remember, you're not looking at their faults. You're not looking primarily at where they need to grow. You're not denying it. You're not sweeping underneath the rug. But what the cutting edge, the leading edge of how you look at people is how God looks at people. The leading edge of how you look at life is how Christ looks at life. The leading edge is Jesus is Lord, not I'm not getting my own way or they're not changing as fast as I want them to. That applies to your marriage, to your parenting, to your friends, to the church. But listen to what he says here. Philippians 2, 25 to 30. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. I love that message this morning, this idea of soldiers. That's a metaphor scripture uses. My fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. Now, don't turn there, but in 4.10, we find out that Epaphroditus was sent from modern-day Greece to modern-day Rome. It was a long journey back then with money because Paul had needed money. When you were in prison back then, they didn't provide for you three meals a day and cable TV in a workout room. They chained you between two Roman guards, and if someone didn't bring you food, you starved. If someone didn't bring you a coat, you were cold. If you got sick, you had to make sure someone came and took care of you. So Epaphroditus was sent, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may what? Rejoice at seeing him again. 
He almost died. He risked his life for the gospel. And I want to send him back to you so you can rejoice in him. We were to rejoice in God's servants and one another. And that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with what? Joy. Joy. I'm sure Epaphroditus had his problems. I mean, he was a hero and all that, but I'm sure he could be irritating. Not as irritating as I can be, but close. But he's saying rejoice in this man because of what God has done in his life, because he's a partner, because God is working here. Receive him with joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. But This next one is really interesting. He names two people that are in conflict in the church. They're found in Philippians 4, 1 and 2. Their names are Yodia and Syntyche. And they are women who are serving the church. And they, they have worked with Paul in the mission of the gospel. And they have a huge conflict with one another. Listen to what Paul says. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Is that how you view one another? Is that how you view those that are sitting in front of you as your joy and crown? What's your joy and crown? What's mine? Is it our accomplishment? Is it our own righteousness? Is it our career? Is it maybe our children? Those are all good things. But this says the people sitting in front of you and behind you are your joy and crown in the church because God is the one who called them and will complete the work in them. He says, For my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. You know what's interesting? That is the context for a scripture that we love to quote right? Which is this one right here. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. The context of that command is conflict in the church. Do you know how conflict can just bum you out? Like you just get in a good old fashioned argument with somebody. Maybe you did on Thanksgiving. Maybe you're in one with someone here in the church and there's just tension. You walk in the room and you know, they don't like you. You don't like them. You're so mad. You could just kill them. Joy is the last thing Joy is the last thing that you associate with that, right? Usually what you associate with that is anxiety, anger, bitterness, fear, estrangement, aloneness. It's in that context that Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I would say rejoice. And this scripture that we love to quote, do not be anxious about anything. I'm reading now from verse 6 in Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything in By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Guys, the context for that isn't being anxious about, you know, like a hurricane or financial ruin, or it's something far more visceral and common. You just got in a blowout with your spouse. Your kids hate you right now because you said no to something. You just hurt someone in the church and they're so mad at you and you feel guilty or they hurt you and you're so mad at them and they feel guilty. There's walls and estrangement. It's in that context that this scripture comes to us. What is the point? Well, I love what Walter Hansen says in his commentary on this text. I believe it's on the screen. Paul's, he's commenting on this verse, these two verses about Yodi and Syntyche. Paul's previous correlation of unity and joy in chapter 2, verse 3, which we preached last week, provides a basis for linking his command to rejoice 
with his appeal to Yodi and Syntyche to be of one mind. That's what it said in Philippians 4.2. Hey, listen, you guys resolved your conflict. Be of one mind. The reconciliation of two estranged friends leads to a joyful celebration. And joyful praise to the Lord leads friends to set aside grievances in order to worship the Lord in unity. In contrast to bitter, belligerent spirit that drives people apart is a sweet, exuberant spirit that brings people together. That's a word for somebody here. That's a scripture to study. I'm applying it to my own heart right now in a situation. But I think someone else, that's a word for you. Because God began the work in them, they're not your enemy. And the joyful celebration of brothers and sisters coming together who love the Lord, these were leading ladies in the church, brings such joy in contrast to a bitter, belligerent spirit that drives people apart. God wants to bring us a sweet, exuberant spirit that brings people together. I I, I was thinking of Samir. Speaking of rejoicing in people, we rejoice in our brothers and sisters in the church, but we also rejoice with those that we know but aren't in the church. I was thinking of Samir, and I was thinking of his situation. Samir is a pastor in Turkey, and some of you may have received an email from him, and he just chronicles his experience in Turkey right now. Can you imagine? I want to be careful what I say because this will go on the internet. But, but what, he, what he says in his email is he says, your prayers, I'm reading from his letter, your prayers, support, and your partnership with us has given us much encouragement and peace in this difficult time. This is a modern day Epaphroditus. He's not in modern day Greece, he's in modern day Turkey, but close. He goes on to talk about, they're having a couples conference right now in eastern Turkey with seven couples. It ends tomorrow. He says, pray for us. Pray for the couples. Pray as we travel and teach. He talks about someone coming to Christ just recently. He speaks of wonderful things happening with the Syrian refugees. You know, Turkey borders Syria. This area where ISIS was just burgeoning is right right in that area. He's talking about Syrians who've come over. There's now a Syrian church. And he says about this Syrian church, he says, five new people came to faith in Christ in the Syrian church. A 21-year-old person came to a home Bible study last week and heard the gospel for the first time. I want to rejoice in that. Not based on, oh, how great your ministry is. No, no, based on the ruling, risen Lord Jesus who's reigning right now in Turkey, in Syria, in Miami Lakes, in your heart, in my heart. He who began a good work will complete it till the day of Christ. He says, pray for us. Pray that we would serve at every cost, even if it's to our own lives. Pray that we would be celebrating Christ's birth and have extra wisdom this year, if you know what I mean. Pray that we would share the gospel with our neighbors and community. Pray, pray, pray. Church, I want to do that. I want to conclude this message with prayer. God is is calling us in this scripture here to rejoice in the Lord and his servants as we focus on Christ, our risen and ruling Lord. We're to pray for one another and see each other in Christ who promises to complete the work he began in us. We're going to close in prayer. We, We won't close in worship. Just bow your heads with me. Listen, if you want to get on your knees, get on your knees. 
If you want to say amen to this prayer, say amen. This be active in prayer. Think of someone you can pray for. Paul prayed for his friends. Paul prayed for those that he really, really liked and got along with. And Paul prayed for those that maybe he didn't like quite as much and had a hard time getting along with. Paul is praying for those he knew. Paul is praying for those he didn't know. Paul is praying for everyone here with joy. And it's loud when we pray. So feel free to just pray. I'm going to lead right now on the microphone, but you feel free to pray. Man, do business with God right now. This is the time to do business with God because God is here and he's given us life and he's begun something in us that we could never have begun ourselves and he will complete it on the day of Christ and he promises his glory on the other side of this suffering. So pray, church. Lord, we pray. Lord, we pray for our friend Samir. Lord, we pray that you would give them safe passage tomorrow as they drive back from this couples conference. Lord, I thank you for those converts in the Syrian church. Lord, I pray that you would take them and put, bring them right back to these areas that have recently been conquered militarily from ISIS. But Lord, there are so many thousands and millions of souls in this area who have not heard Christ even once. At least not the biblical Christ as we would understand him. Like this 21-year-old person who heard For the first time, the preaching of the gospel. Lord, send us, if not physically, then with our prayers, with our encouragement, with, yes, with our finances where appropriate. Bless Samir and his wife. Protect them, Lord. Lord, I pray for those in this church. Lord, I pray that we would see one another with new eyes. Lord, I pray that instead of people being more aware of our critique, they would be more aware of our commendation. Beginning with our children, our family members, our friends. I pray that when we see others, we would not see immediately where they are deficient or they need to change. We would see a blood-bought child of God adopted into the family of God. And we would see the completed work even by faith and encourage them. And the world would see that kind of love that's real. We still can talk about real issues. But they would say, wow, there's something different there. Even as you said, that you prayed that we would be one, that the world would know that the Father sent you. Oh, Lord, that's our prayer. That's our prayer for Palm Vista. That's our prayer for Christmas near the beach. That's our prayer for our family gatherings this Christmas. Lord, and we thank you that we can even pray this with joy because we have faith in you, the risen and ruling Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen.